Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good, Bruce. Excellent. I've been um, listening to the audiobook of the James Clavell novel Shogun from the mm-hmm. uh, 70s. Oh, yeah. I read it as a teenager. And am I ever enjoying it as a 61-year-old now? Mm-hmm. It's a fa- it is such a fantastic story about uh, um, just this. It's about the first Englishman who went to uh, Japan in Japan, about 1600. Right? So highly mm-hmm. recommend it if you have Audible. Mm-hmm. And today's game was an interesting game. The Oilers it won 4-3 in overtime. It was it was a strange game, Bruce. Mm-hmm. It was a weird one, and we'll get into why that is. But it was very, very, very different in terms of how hockey games unfold. But all's well that ends well for the Edmonton Oilers. How are you doing? Uh, all right. We'll certainly take the two points from uh, from that affair and uh, move on. Yeah, uh, they needed it. Yeah, well, they needed some kind of result. Yeah. Sure. They were going to get the loser point, which was good. And they I think they actually played for the loser point today. They shut things down, to say mm-hmm. the least, and both teams did. Yep. And they, maybe they were both playing for the loser point for the entire third period. But anyway. Yep. Um, Bruce, uh, two good things, two bad things, two numbers, one conundrum. What's your good thing? Yeah, I'm actually going to go right back to what we were just talking about. I, uh, the mature third period that Edmonton played in a tie game. And they didn't make the mistake of of, uh, uh, of opening things up to try and go for it. Uh, I thought, that, you know, they took care of their own end. I think they, they, uh, uh, they gave up only five shots, was it, or six? And none of them particularly dangerous. And uh, I just thought that, you know, the way they were patient with the puck, they moved it out, they dumped it in, and they played Bettman hockey. And uh, that is a double-edged compliment coming from me, but it is a system, and you got to game it. And it's especially effective if you can game it if you are good in overtime and can often win the extra point that gets awarded. Uh, but they, I thought Edmonton needed to get some sort of result from this game, at least one point, and uh, they took care of that business first, at least in the third period they did, and then uh, uh, quickly uh, claimed the second point when the opportunity arose in, uh, in OT. Uh, but overall, I just thought they showed some some team patience and maturity down the stretch of this game. Maybe this is uh, one of the side benefits of the so-called veteran presence when you bring in a newcomer like Corey Perry. You can imagine him coming. I can imagine him coming into the dressing room and say, and then the other teams saying, hey, welcome to the team. What do you think of us anyway? And Corey Perry could say, you know what? You guys have a lot of potential, but you're one of the biggest jokes in the NHL for how you handle the third period. And the way you guys fail to get Batman loser points by not shutting down the opposition, just playing loosey-goosey hockey uh, in the final 10 minutes, it's laughable, man. And maybe, because I don't think I've ever seen them 
play for the loser point. They probably have tried. Oh but. yeah, they they have, but uh, they're, they're it's it's just. I mean, I hate to say it because it's so much less exciting, but uh, just the way the system is rigged, uh, that um, uh, if you're going to win one, lose one, you're best to do both of those things in overtime than in regulation because you get one more point. And so, you know, in the long run, the the, the careful play is the, is the smart play. The only play that I didn't like in that period, there was about four minutes left, and uh, the McDavid line and Drysaddle, McDavid Drysaddle had been out there for quite a while already. They were getting tired, and they had so they, but they, they, oh, it was, and then they iced it, and then there was a face-off in the owner's zone, and the owners were able to get the puck out, which was huge in that moment because mm-hmm. you know it's a Tyler Orders group. So Leon takes the puck over the blue line, and what does he do? Instead of throwing it, getting it deep. Um, he throws a backhand pass right across the ice. And I just thought, ah, well, you never learn. Like, that is that is the play you don't make in that moment. He got away with it. It worked, but and then they got off the, right away. Do you remember the play? I yeah, I remember was, the icing, too. It was really unlucky. They sort of shot a soft one out, and the damn puck landed on its edge, and it rolled over the icing line. And flat puck would have died 10 times out of 10 there. And then they, you know, they did get it and they worked it out and they, they did take it into the Dallas end and then both guys skedaddled to the bench because I was concerned about the same thing. They'd probably been out there for, you know, well over a minute by that time. Uh, anyway, as you say, they got away with it and the next line got out and they just took care of business. They did. Bruce protected um, their goalie. They did, and and I have to say. I gave Leon an eight in this game. I didn't hold mm-hmm. that against him. I thought he was the Oilers' best forward. He mm-hmm. he was the most dangerous forward on the attack. He was making all kinds of plays. He's a fantastic player. But and and he is keeping his. I don't know. if I checked actually the shift lengths from the the losing streak at the start of the year to now. And there's nothing you can't really see anything that makes you think they're keeping their shift shorter. But I think in in some key moments they are doing better keeping their shift shorter. All those guys. So I think he is. I think he is learning, and his defensive play has really picked up. But I didn't like that play. Um, the play, one play that I did like was Leon's fa- winning face-off in overtime, and um, Evan Bouchard's goal. It was his second goal of the game, and both goals came, I think, on fantastic shots. Um, Bouchard can really slap the puck. He can also really wrist the puck. And both goals were were him doing just that. He he went um, top shelf where Mama keeps Grandma keeps the cookies, as the legendary skills coach Jim Fleming said, he likes to say on the first goal. And the second goal was even better because he moved in and against the flow he shot it back against against the flow through a screen of a Dallas player into the uh, far side of the net. It was just an absolutely beautiful shot. By Bouchard, does he have 14 goals now? Is that it? Yes, he does. Career high, 14 goals. He's he's probably on his way to 20 goals. It's on his this pace year, to which about would 20, be cool. 22 right now. I think would be the would yeah. be the pace. You know, Bruce, and you're going to get into the power play. I just want to say, through that entire five-on-three power play, I was thinking, why aren't you setting up Evan Bouchard? They 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 just were not passing it back to him to shoot. Although he was wound up and ready to shoot a few times. And I just, it was driving me crazy on that power play. And then finally they did it. 
on the power play in overtime. And apparently, I, I didn't see this, but I think one of the announcers was saying McDavid called for that to happen, um, that he he wanted to fake Bouchard to fake the, the shot to him. And that was the right play. We just should have seen the right play earlier. They, they don't use Bouchard's shot enough. And I've remarked on this before, and we saw it again in tonight, and that finally they used it in overtime, and they scored. Yeah, well, they used that exact same play on overtime winner. I think it was in Montreal, uh, in uh, <clears throat> uh, in January, uh, and there was another game that they won earlier that I remember them doing the same thing, and it was, uh, um, and maybe the, maybe this is the one I'm remembering where McDavid actually talked to Bouchard uh, before the faceoff took place, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the whole idea was for uh, Drysaddle to to win the puck back to Bouchard and for Bouchard to sort of a- angle towards uh, McDavid and telegraph that he was going to pass to him and then just kind of back away and leave the guy uh, leave the guy who was trying to cover off the pass in his dust and shoot from the slot and he scored and won that game too and at this time it was basically that same play. He's. He, he, that's a grade A shot for the Oilers. Oh, yeah. When he shoots from the circles, oh, anywhere yeah. around the circles, Bouchard, it's a grade A mm-hmm. shot, I think, because he's a fantastic shooter of the puck, mm-hmm. and he may he creates grade A shots um, as much as may, maybe you know. There's a handful of NHL defensemen who can do that: McCarr, Quinn, him, a few mm-hmm. others, just with the mm-hmm. strength of his shot. And uh, they should use. They've got to figure out a way. To get the one timer going on the power play from the other side, they've got Drysaddle on the one side. They've got to figure out a way to rot- have Bouchard rotate down a bit more now and then, and um, from a similar spot as Drysaddle shooting, maybe not way down low, but a little, you know, more classic one timer turf where Ovechkin stands. Shoot from there, Bouchard, and um, I, I think it'll be successful. Yeah, well, he's he's part of it too. Is he's he's feeling it again, and he's had. I've noticed in the years that he's been here, he's had stretches where he's just not shooting the puck successfully, uh, or and there was a stretch like from uh, uh, he had a run of seven games where he had only six shots on net. Uh, that was from games forty-one to forty-seven. And now the last four games is like five, five, three, and five. Eighteen shots in four games, mm-hmm. compared to six and seven games. Like it's just he's all of a sudden feeling this oats again, and he's uh, he's uh, ripping her, and uh, two goals to show for his, his uh, game today. And in fact, in the last three games, he's had six points, three goals, and three assists. And you know he's. And his offense had kind of dried up for that. So yeah. it's, it's nice to see him uh, deliver because the, the full, uh, I mean, he's going to always pick up assists here and there with his passing, but the full meal, Evan Bouchard, is goals and assists. And I've always thought he's going to be a consistent every year double-digit goal scorer, and uh, there's every chance he's going to be a 20-goal scorer, 15 for sure, to to 20. Uh, on an annual basis because, uh, you know, his he does have such a wicked shot and because the other team has to defend against more than just the shot because they know he can make deadly passes as well. So he's, uh, he's a pretty lethal offensive force. He's now got 50 points in 51 games. 
Right. So um, I I predicted he might he'd get might get ninety. That's kind of the upper end I think for him. Um, he'd have to get obviously forty points in thirty one games, which is unlikely at this point. But you never know. He's sure and, on pace um, for eighty though. He's sure on pace for having a point a game this year, which would be fantastic. Your <coughs> excuse me, Bruce. Your bad thing. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the well the the. The power play that won the game for the Oilers, so let's take the edge off before I start. But in regulation, they had three power plays, uh, including a two-man advantage, five-on-three advantage for a minute and three seconds. And on those three power plays combined, they couldn't get a single shot on net. And, I mean, five-on-three for 103 seconds? Come on. Uh, you got to be able to get the puck, you know, into the slot and direct something on the net. The, the the goaltender is supposed to be the best penalty killer on the other team, not a bystander. But Otinger didn't have to make a save because uh, Edmonton wasn't able to... They got one shot from the dot. Leon let go a really good wrist shot and hit the post. So, that you know, but it wasn't on net. And otherwise, it just seemed like the three... Uh, stars were outworking the five Oilers and just getting in lanes and Oilers were content to keep it on the outside. They had Bouchard and, and Drysaddle doing back and forth like each of them expected the other guy to shoot. Neither one of them would. There was, you know, and just and the puck got cleared out of the zone two or three times. When you got five on three, you have to overwhelm them. When the puck goes loose into the corners, it's got to be two you on one or even three. You've got two extra guys. You're going to win those pucks and battle for them and want them. And it just seemed like it was too mechanical and not uh, uh, not very focused. And then, of course, after I spent much of the the game sort of bitterly complaining about that wasted opportunity, it took them almost seven seconds to, to set up a lethal game-winning shot on an overtime power play. So what, what do I know? But what I do know is I wasn't happy with that five-on-three. I thought McDavid was rushing at Bruce. I thought he was pressing and trying to force things that w- were not there. And that was the problem with it. So instead of, meth- you, I th- you know, you can methodically kind of pass the puck yes. around and get a great shot on the five on three. Mm-hmm. Connor was just charging around and um, charging into the slot a few times. And I don't think it was needed. And I think that was the, the issue. And, and, and it's the same uh, problem on my bad thing, which is the penalty kill. What I've been seeing in recent games, and we saw it again tonight, I think, is is impatience, over aggression and impatience. Um, where uh, so the first power play goal against it's a nothing play; they're just coming up the ice, and Ekholm all of a sudden he decides he's going to charge up the ice into the neutral zone and take on two Dallas Stars on the attack, and then on the board to make on the boards to make matters worse. Vinny DeHarnay says, "Well, that was such a bad idea from Ekholm. I better do it too." And he charges up there and he gets burnt. So it's a two on one down low. And the one defender is a forward Bruce on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. It's poor Matthias Janmark. Yeah. And they, they charge in and get a wicked shot. And two then the rebound yeah. charge in two on one, uh, the rebound Connor Brown. Meanwhile, is now the second defenseman and he's kind of gone to sleep a little bit on the wheel and he's not um, looking over his shoulder at his man. He's a little, oh. doing a bit of puck watching and that guy goes in and scores on on the rebound shot. So um, 
But Ekholm and Deharney on that play were completely, utterly out to lunch because they were impatient and they were over-aggressive. And as I've been saying, cavalier. And they've got to play a more dis disciplined, I would say, I'm not asking for like a lack of aggression or um, just, just more discipline, more patient, making the right reads and the less risky reads. Because it's one risky read, risky read, yeah, after another, that is leading to these troubles. Most of the troubles, not all of them. On the second power play, goal against right at the end of the third period, it, it was nothing like that. It was just it was just a bad play by the goalie. He he got a shot and he couldn't. It wasn't an even. It wasn't a. It was a grade B shot kind of from outside and he couldn't handle it. He couldn't smother it. Couldn't put it in the corner. He put it right next to the net uh, near the goal line and someone just came by and tucked it in. Those kinds of goals against um, will happen. And Calvin Pickard actually, I would have given him a, a seven in the game for a good game if he hadn't made that play. He had a good game. But that was a that was a that was completely on him. I thought. I mean, Deharney let the outside shot go, so you might say, "Oh well, he he he's part of the chain of events." But Calvin Pickard was um, the mistake there. But that that happens to every team, um, where you're just going to get the puck falling in the wrong place at the wrong time. It, that first goal against, though, yeah. they've got a they've got a they they should put together a reel, sit down with the PKers because we could identify them four or five or six of the goals against on the short on the opposition power play, where it's been the same thing. Oilers running around <laughs> impatiently trying to shut it down uh, when it's not there to be shut down and they're getting beat because of it. Yeah, well, this one was especially egregious in that uh, generally you don't want your uh, defenseman going too far outside of the, you know, the dots in terms of the width of the ice. You don't want them chasing plays necessarily all the way into the corner on the penalty kill. You give them the perimeter, and you only chase into the corner if you think you can get it and clear it, right? Or you know, there's a reason to tie someone up or something. But generally, you want to you want to control the middle of the ice between the dots. And here, both defensemen went all the way to the same sidewall, one right after the other. And Echo, I don't know what he was thinking up there in the neutral zone, trying to take on two guys. And I mean, the whole thing about penalty killing is you know controlling. And you know, keeping the play to the outside, and he just got, he just got, um, uh, uh, you know, left in the dust there. And then Deharney trying to clean up the mess just uh, made it worse. And the forwards, I mean, Brown and Yanmark were kind of. Not, I mean, I don't know what Yanmark could have done. Brown, maybe if he'd skated a little harder, he could have caught the guy who scored on the rebound. He, he but, could have, if he had been super aware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he made a bigger mistake on the even strength goal, where the the guy Harley got right behind him and scored. That was and, worse. Yeah, that was worse. <laughs> <laughs> so in total, Bruce, uh, the grade A shots were Edmonton just had ten. They mm -hmm. they've been averaging under Knobloch about sixteen, and they had ten grade A shots. Dallas had eleven. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what the orders have averaged against under Knobloch when they've been a much better defensive club than they've previously been. Mm -hmm. um, so the owners got it together. They got hurt, scorched pretty badly with those six goals against in the previous game. So I think this was a much better defensive effort by the Edmonton owners. It wasn't perfect, obviously, but um, I do give the owners credit for that. And it was a, it, it was a hard game to, 
to grade in some ways because there wasn't a lot of good stuff that anyone did. But on the other hand, people didn't do a lot bad. Like they held their own and they played solid defensive hockey. So uh, I'm going to, I do give the orders credit for that in this game. What is your number? Yeah, it has to do with our grade A shots uh, project. And this is the grade A shots allowed, which as you just mentioned was 11 by period. One against in the first period, 10 against in the second period, zero against in the third period. And then, of course, overtime, uh, Dallas never even had the puck. So it was just a 20-second period or whatever it was, but uh, a 30-second period. What's but, going on in these second periods? Well, I mean, and you can look at shots on goals. Like Dallas had six in the first no goals, 16 in the second, all three of their goals. In fact, both teams scored three, and then five in the third. So it's like the second period when they changed ends, it was like they they changed decades and it turned into the 1980s for 20 minutes. And then <laughs> it came back to 20, 2020s button-down hockey after that. It was just a very bizarre... It was like the mini-games you have in the All-Star game. Each period was, like, very different, but... Anyway, they, they, uh, uh, the orders uh, were very undisciplined in the middle frame, and otherwise they were very strong, and it's, it's kind of strange. So it, that really stood out to me just in watching the game. But the numbers supported that defensively Edmonton was, uh, uh, was uh, 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 under the gun in the middle frame, and otherwise... Uh, they didn't allow much against the top scoring team in the NHL. They did not. Um, so my number, Bruce, is nine, as in nine minutes left in the game. For the first 51 minutes at even strength, not one member of the second, third, or fourth lines on the Edmonton Oilers at even strength, had a shot, had a grade A shot on net. Not one grade A shot on net for the first 51 minutes of the game at even strength by by all of those players, all nine of those players. Ryan did get one shorthand at the Nuge setup. But at even strength, Bruce, they got nothing. And the even strength one they got, Fogel was kind of a marginal grade A, but it was a good wraparound, so we'll give it to him. And it was the only grade A shot that the second, third, and fourth lines got this game. And um, I didn't see a heck of a lot on the attack from any of them. I mean, Fogel kind of came alive at the end of the game. Ryan McLeod was steaming around the ice all game long fast. But uh, the Nuge line with Hyman and Kane, it doesn't doesn't work, that line. And it, it it will never work. Because there's really no driver of the play on that line. You need, you do, for a great offensive line or a, a good offensive line, you need that person who's going to carry the mail, carry that puck. And they're all, Hyman's good at carrying the puck, so is Nuge, but more in a support role. And and Kane's not great at carrying the puck, period. So that line will never work. The McLeod line. $5 million players, David. Someone's got to drive it. It's not going to happen. No. The third line <laughs> um, could work as a checking line, right? If they and, mm-hmm. and you could say the third line did its job. They they sawed yep. it off. They didn't give up much, yep. and um, 
they um, didn't get much. So that's kind of third line performance, same with the fourth line. But they, the Oilers do need to win the Stanley Cup. They need at least two scoring lines. They could you probably use three. And um, so this is why, and I, you know, Knobloch is more often in recent games gone to drive Saddle and McDavid. Just, just he's increasingly doing this. And it's a failed strategy on the Oilers. That line did well. You know, granted, that line had a good game and um, they created the most at even strength on the attack. But Drysdale and McDavid are going to create anyway on the attack. I, I can see um, breaking up the top line of McDavid, Hyman and Nugent Hopkins. That line hasn't been going. But I, uh, one of my friends, uh, and I'll name him Dan Woodruff, because my friends sometimes accuse me of stealing their hockey talk ideas without giving them credit. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give Dan credit here. Uh, I don't think I do that, but anyway, maybe I do. Uh, anyway, Dan was saying, like, why don't they just switch center, like, like line mates? And I, that's a hell of a suggestion. Uh, dry saddle with Hyman and and Nugent Hopkins. I mean, that could work. And then try McDavid with Kane and uh, whoever. I mean, I like the top line of with Perry. I thought that was a really interesting experiment, and I thought it generally worked. Perry, you know. It, they have to pay Perry a lot of attention down there and he draws one or two players. So it opens it up for the two big guys. So if you're going to go with the top two, maybe that's not a bad idea, but you're going to struggle to score at even strength otherwise. And um, I think we saw uh, evidence of that tonight. Yeah. Well, Knobloch made a telling comment a while ago uh, uh, just coming out of the break or maybe one or two games out of the break that he says, we're not getting much offense unless both McDavid and Drysaddle are on the ice together. Because you might remember in the two games just before the break, it was like McDavid got seven points and Drysaddle got six. And, they, you know, out of seven, seven goals that they scored in the two games, uh, they, you know, they, they put them together briefly then and it worked. And but he made a comment that, you know, most of the Oilers' goals are coming with both of them on the ice. So he's certainly started to default to that, as many other coaches have before. And to say it's a failed strategy, well, they won the game, right? So they it, did. Kind of, it kind of worked. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did. It's a failed strategy in terms of you're going to win, obviously, with McDavid and Dressel on your team. You're going to win games, yeah. but period. But in terms right. of the playoffs... And in terms of winning when it counts, I think it's a failed strategy. I, I just don't, I don't buy it. I'm not into it. And did you like, <sighs> did you like the heart line? This is a, I got this from uh, Kim McLean uh, in response to my uh, never in doubt tweet that I like after doubtful games. Uh, <laughs> and, and Kim McLean said, heart line, I like it. And I, well, you're right. All three of them won the heart trophy. Uh, <clears throat> Perry first, and, and of course McDavid's got three, and uh, Drysaddle's got one. So it's not uh, often you see a line where every guy on it has won the heart. The most bizarre heart trophy <laughs> victory of this century, other than Taylor Hall, the two ones that are just like seriously, Kerry Perry Jose and Taylor Taylor. Hall. Oh, well, maybe the, yeah. Okay, there's a third one. Two beat. Yeah. Jerome McGinley, when the one Montreal writer left, McGinley completely off his ballot, and then Theodore won in a tie. That oh, guy what should have been thrown is. right out of the PHWA. That was brutal. That is brutal. That is brutal. The heart line, I like it, though. I like yeah. that. Yeah. A lot. 
mm-hmm. and it's it's I don't have anything against that line. It's just like good luck scoring otherwise, though. Um, assist plus two for Corey Perry today and a penalty. He got the original Gordy Howe hat trick, a goal assist and a penalty. Yeah. And he was pretty effective, I thought. He's a good player. I'm I'm smart, liking Corey eh? Perry. Yeah, he is very smart. He's the smartest mm-hmm. net front guy I've ever seen on the Oilers. Yeah, yeah. he's you know, canning. He's cagey. He's yeah. He's, I thought Hyman was really smart, <laughs> but Corey Perry is takes it up to a whole other level. Is what I'm going to say. And that's how you score. However many goals he scored in the NHL. How many has he scored? I don't even know. Four hundred four hundred and twenty. 421, I think he had when he got here. He was the day he arrived. He was the Oilers' career goal scorer. Oh, that's right. You said that. And uh, behind McDavid for points, but uh, had everybody else. But let's find out now. He has got 422. So 420 when he came here, and then he's got two. No, wait. This is out of date. He's probably 423 now, because this is hockey reference. Won't be updated till tomorrow. So. But now he scored in two consecutive games, and uh, uh, he's got two goals and two assists in seven games. Pretty good. Bruce, tonight's conundrum is: How about that, Calvin Pickard? Is he gonna? Is he good enough to stay Ken Holland's hand when it comes to making a trade? And today was a big game. For in assessing that, it's one of the reasons I liked this decision. Actually, when in thinking about it, you've got to see how he does against good teams, yeah. and because uh, he's going to be playing good, he's going to he will be counted on in the playoffs. The backup goalie, whoever it is, is going to be counted on to win at least one game in the playoffs. Is my prediction, maybe two or three or four. So you, you've got to be able to beat good teams. And what do you think? What do you think, Bruce? Yeah, I like the decision as well. I mean, he's they've kind of carefully selected his spots that he's gone in. And of course, the schedule's been so light that he literally only played five games in the last two months. Like he, his last loss was way back on December sixteenth, nine weeks ago. And since then, he's now played six games, won all six. Uh, one of the games was against a a, a playoff uh, at least. Um, competitor Detroit yeah. won that game in Detroit 3-2 in overtime and otherwise you know he's got a steady diet of Anaheim and <clears throat> and uh, uh, teams near the uh, near the bottom of the standings and so Dallas is anything but that of course in fact they are the highest scoring team in the NHL which is a serious test for any goalie and today I thought he was just kind of so-so uh, he was stopping pucks, but his rebound control was was uh, pretty poor. Yeah. And there was yeah. one in one in the first period. It was a blocker save, and the puck oh. came off his blocker, and it came flying up into the slot. And then from that sort of badly controlled rebound, uh, Edmonton was on the back foot, and they wound up taking a penalty that wound up leading to a power play goal. So. We don't record that as a mistake by Pickard, but it did actually lead to the sequence of the of the goal, uh, which you know happened happened uh, actually in the next period. This was late in the first that that happened, but the 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 rebound led to the penalty, which led to the goal. And then on the uh, 
3-3 goal, that was the one where the rebound got through and dribbled to the side of the net. And uh, Duchesne, I think it was, was able to to pounce on it and tuck it home. And there was a couple other rebounds where I was going, oh boy, right through the slot. You know, lucky that somebody didn't jump on it or it bounced over somebody's mm-hmm. stick. Or, And there, there was a few of those where I'm going, this is, you know, this is uh, uh, an NHL stopper, but with AHL level polish in terms of what he showed in this game. So I'm not sure that it totally answers the question, but I tell you what, they keep throwing the guy out there and he keeps winning games. And I keep thinking, Oilers got bigger problems than that. I mean, if they lose their starting goalie in the playoffs, well, chances are they're not going to win the cup. Well, you could say that about almost every team. You know, like yes. if, if Tampa had lost Vasilevsky those two years, do you think they would have won those cups? Colorado Probably won, not. didn't they? And, and, Colorado, and LA the last won. Two. Yeah, the, the last, last two, two with, uh, with Colorado, where... Um, uh, or the orders lost to uh, the lefty there that came in because Kemper was hurt. And I'm just trying to remember his name. It's this guy. And then the uh, last year it was, uh, 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 last year, of course, it was Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill. One backup replacing another backup. And between the two backups, they won all 16 games. So, I mean, there's different recipes. I wrote a whole post about this, and there's sort of no one sort of sure method other than draft a stud goalie and hope that he stays healthy. Like the two games, the two cups that Tampa Bay won, uh, their backup goalie never played a minute either year. It was like Vasilevsky just played the entire playoffs. And they had a, they had a pretty good backup goalie, but, you know, he was sort of play 15 games during the season and wear a ball cap in the postseason, and uh, it worked out just great for them. So, Edmonton, you know, I, if There's you want to, Jack, uh, what's Jack the Campbell. answer? Like, how do, yeah, how do you get get a goalie and fit him under the payroll? And what do you do with Calvin Picker? Do you just discard him? Like, like, uh, uh, you know, the, a hamburger wrapper because uh, you got what you wanted out of it. Um, I think he's he's in a good spot. Team likes him, um, and he's playing well enough. And you you just can't safeguard against anything. I mean, you lose your top player at any position, you're in trouble, right? Like what happens to the Oilers if say Zach Hyman, their top right winger, uh, suffered an injury in the playoffs? Well, who do you replace him with? Well, all of a sudden you're you know. You're digging deep on the depth chart while you're still in the top six. Speaker yeah. has seven wins and two losses with the Oilers. Um, and his um, 9-10 save percentage, Oof. best on the team. So, uh-huh. um, and the other, the wild card in this is Jack Campbell, who yes. in, at the AHL level now has a 9-11, 9-11 um, um, save, save percentage. Uh, in 19 games, and that's after an atrocious start. 8-19 after the first three games. Yeah. And since so he, then, he's, he's probably over 930. He's got to be. Yeah. So he's, I mean, Jack Campbell, What you say whatever you want about him, he had put together five or six 
solid seasons as a pro hockey player before he came to Edmonton. That's how he earned that contract. It wasn't based on one year. It was based on about six years in a row of um, decent play. And um, like, who are they going to get? Like people keep saying Jake Allen from Montreal and I, and I keep thinking seriously, like, why would you give up? Why would you do that? Like, yeah. is, is he any better than Pickard? Like, I mean, it just doesn't... It's not $2.7 million better, which I think is the difference in their cap. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. They're, they're not going to do that. They, they trade, have... Yeah, like, what, what incremental gain do you make if you make a trade like that? You give up assets, give up more assets for them to retain. You dump your competent backup goalie to make room for the new guy. And who knows how he fits in? Like I, I just don't see a real, um, sort of solid answer. And at this point, I'm wondering if there's really a question. You got four goal- goalies in the organization; they are all playing well. Yeah, Olivier Rodriguez has been playing well all year in Bakersfield. Now they have a really solid defense in Bakersfield. I think mm-hmm. for for the AHL level, um, I mean they've got. Ben Gleason, Philip Broberg, Cam Deneen, Maximus Wanner, Phil Kemp, Marcus Niemelainen. I think that's an oh, exceptionally... Noel Hofenmeyer, yeah, they got yeah, six, Noel seven Meyer. guys. Six, yeah. six, seven guys that are pretty good. Alex Peters is another one, like a great big guy. So I think that, that that really helps these goalies down there, which is good. Just like the Oilers defense goalies were helped during the, their winning streak by some really solid defensive play. And, um, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you, Bruce. And, I, you know, tonight's game certainly gives that sense, like, they need help. They do need help in their forward depth. They need to find a few more players with some spark, at least one player, you know, can really play solid two-way hockey. I still think of a th- third-line center would be my ultimate goal. Now, the, John Davidson, I guess, has made it clear in his first press conference he's not trading Boone, Boone Jenner. But that that's the, you know, by reputation at least, that's the kind of player that, that Edmonton could really use is, is someone like that on their third line. Or then you might have someone, or maybe that, that would be your second line center. That's a real possibility as well, if you could get someone that good. So, I don't know, Bruce, that's what I'm thinking. That's what they tried to that do last center. year. They got a third line yeah. center, and then they tried to tried to slot him in on the second line and yeah, got it burned. Work, for it. Eh? Yeah, it didn't work out too well. Uh, yeah. But I do think that uh, uh, there are certainly guys out there, and ideally, for sure, you want a righty. Uh, the one name that keeps coming up is Nick Dowd, a thirty three year old right shot forward, who is. Uh, uh, He's, he gets like, I think he's got 12% offensive zone starts. It's like he, got, he takes eight faceoffs in his own end for every one in the offensive end, and he's plus nine on the season. Like, it's pretty unreal. He's Manny guy, Malhotra you know, he's, come, the second coming of Manny Malhotra, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got the Malhotra gig for sure, which is, uh, 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 what do they call it? Fogo, you know, the face off, get off, win the face off. When the puck comes out, you hit the bench so that the Sedins can come out and score, you know. And that was what Malhotra did in Vancouver. And that's uh, uh, largely Dowd's role. And of course, he's a penalty killer and a right shot face off guy and a half decent one, you know, 51, 52% on his career, 
uh, 52.2% on uh, uh, over his time in Washington, and uh, 1.3 million with a year to go. I mean, that's the kind of contract that they could probably uh, certainly afford, or they could probably get bought down if they needed to make it fit. So that's uh, you know that's that's shoring up an area of sort of weakness, which is D zone faceoffs and penalty killing right now. I mean, nine shorthanded goals and five games is becoming a you know it's a it's pretty sore point that needs to be addressed one way or another because you can't keep giving in two a game ryan ryan's at fourth line center but of course he he does play the wing and he played the wing in the playoffs Mm -hmm. last year he's an excellent winger yes so um better on the wing to me yeah i'm good with that and it puts the heat on jan mark and brown um and yeah, all the other uh, bottom line wingers to really crank it up. So with Ryan competing for them. Well, uh, Monday, Monday afternoon is the next game. Another afternoon game out of Arizona. Cool. Oh, that's that a tough band box that they have there. Yeah, that could be an interesting game. We'll see what happens. All right, Bruce. I think that uh, that just about does, does or thanks for talking today. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.